0: Man, have we got a show for you today. You do not want to miss this absolutely high energy, high impact show to help you create more demand in your business and in your life. We have Sean Storms from Third Door. He's a consultant that will help you deliver more results in your company, realign your constancy of purpose, and just really will help you knock the ball out of the park and improve your business. You don't want to miss this awesome episode of Let's Make Work Optional
1: welcome to this episode of let's make work optional with true wealth and company in overland park kansas true wealth and company incorporates strategies and products of the super rich to help you reach your financial goals and make work optional and now here's brian sarf president and ceo of true wealth and company
0: welcome to let's make work optional i'm brian sarf we're here every tuesday at 5 a.m and i hope you are too You can find the Let's Make Work Optional podcast on iTunes, anchor.fm, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, we have a wonderful guest with us. We have Sean Storms. He's the chief demand creator of The Third Door, a management consulting firm that helps senior leadership uneven their competitive playing fields to achieve exceptional and sustainable profit growth. Sean is also a published author, nationally syndicated guest columnist for the American City Business Journals, and a sought after keynote speaker. We are lucky to have him here today. Thanks for coming to spend time with us in our audience, Sean.
2: You're very welcome. Uh, With that intro and about a dollar and a half, I can get a cup of coffee at McDonald's, so it's all good. (laughs) There you go.
0: I'll have a dollar and a half for you at the end of the podcast. (laughs) No problem. So you help companies create demand. Explain what you mean by that and creating demand. So here's what's
2: interesting, right? We'll start at the top. If you take a look... At a lot of companies in the B2C space. Okay. The ones who have totally dominated their industry and have done it for years. Okay. So let's talk about, we'll keep it to four because that way I can keep referring back to them. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Southwest Air. Let's look at Costco, Pixar, and locally, right, Quick Trip, right, even though they have a big, big footprint. Mm -hmm. So let's just look at them. So every one of those are in the commodity space. It's an airline, right? It's a gas station. It's a wholesale club, and so forth. They're all in the commodity space, but they dominate. Mm -hmm. They're they're not just 5% ahead of their competition. They absolutely dominate. And so what's interesting is every one of them is a demand creator, right? let's talk about, for a minute, Chick-fil-A. This is always funny. One of the things I love to say is you can't buy a hamburger at Chick-fil-A and you can't buy a chicken sandwich at Five Guys. There's a reason for that. It's designed very intentionally mm-hmm. that way. In fact, I had a meeting this morning I was mentioning to you guys before we started. Go ahead.
0: Well, and at Chick-fil-A, you can't even go there on a Sunday, yet their stores are off the charts when you look at the revenue they generate per square foot of their stores right. compared to anybody else you want to pick in a space, McDonald's, to Burger King, to Wendy's, Chipotle, anybody, it's, it's off the charts what they generate per square foot.
2: So let's talk about that for a minute. So this is what I was having a conversation with a gentleman this morning. If we were 20 years ago looking, talking, speaking to the CEOs of McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King and said, look, within 20 years, you're going to have a competitor that's going to have two-thirds less stores than you They're going to be closed on Sunday. For some, they're going to have a bit of a controversial platform, being they're a bit religious. And they're only going to sell chicken. And they are going to whip your behind, and you're (laughs) never going to see it coming. And oh, by the way, they're going to win it on politeness. What would those three CEOs have said? They'd laugh at you. Exactly. Not going to happen. Impossible. Correct. And so there's different source code in play. So every single company, whether it's uh, in a commoditized industry or tech or you name it, I've worked with all of them, there's new source code just waiting to be happened. And so I had mentioned Costco and Pixar and some of the others. We'll talk about them. There's lots of movie studios, right? There's lots of airlines. And yet their competitors can't figure out what the heck they're doing. Mm -hmm. So what I like to say is they use this different source code, which we'll talk about today, And they build a competitive moat around this economic castle that they have. So that kind of interlopers, competitors can't cross it, right? Mm -hmm. And they build it. And it happens. And and here's kind of how it happens. But let's talk about each of these first. A lot of people don't know that Costco, for instance, is twice the size of Sam's Club. Well, that's interesting. We're talking about Walmart here, right? Mm -hmm. Costco pays the average employee 30% above industry average. Mm -hmm. And every time they have the quarterly call with Wall Street, the founder, who's still the CEO, takes a lot of grief over, man, we're paying these people 30%. Okay. How many employees do they have across the country at Costco? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what their churn is compared to Sam's Club? Hardly any. Correct. So the tens
0: of millions you're just saving there, that's just cost savings Mm -hmm. if we're going to go straight cost savings. It is because if you have to hire and fire and turnover and deal with workers' comp and all the other complicated issues that you have with benefits and HR, then you have to staff up extra people to deal with the churn then you have to deal with that. But as a customer, when I go in and see the same people at Costco every day, day in and day out where I shop there sure. and run into them, so you'd love it as a customer because it's the same experience with the same people that you know Bingo. are going to bend over backwards to help you find whatever it is you need. Correct. Because they're all shareholders and they all invest in their company.
2: There you go. And what do you think the training is like? you think they have to retrain them every two months? No, they have intensive training. So look at Southwest Air. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we've got some very smart people that are running Delta, United, all the competitors. Absolutely. So why can't they figure out what Southwest has been doing for almost 50 years? Mm-hmm. Pixar, 24 out of 24 straight movies, debuted at number one. I mean, that's just off the charts. When I they got to five in a row that had debuted at number one, people were like, what are they doing over there? Mm-hmm. So come to find out that every one of them does the same eight things. It's an eight-step process. We're not going to go through all eight, but I'm going to break it down into three categories, if you will, to, mm-hmm. to talk about what they do and how they do it. So I've either been to these places, talked to their executives, listened to their customers, read all the books. Eh, It's been decoded. There's a way that they do it. But here's the beauty of it. Every company we're talking about is in B2C. So why don't we see much of this demand creation and market domination inside of B2B? Why is that? Because it is just my belief, right, that they have salespeople. So the business disease that's reached epidemic proportions is sameness. Mm-hmm. So whether you're in, I'm just going to name some industries, wealth management, right, finance, um, you know, let's talk about something you know obviously very well. Of course. And real estate and insurance and tech and you name it, they all pretty much have the same thing. But they're told by upper management, oh no, our value proposition is amazing. If we are unique. Of course. And we're, here, Here's my favorite one. And we need to strike this word from our vocabulary. We have differentiation. Mm-hmm. Some of them even say they have competitive advantage. Let me in there for about three minutes. I can prove to them that they don't. And here's what I do I'll do keynotes. Okay, so you got a thousand people Mm -hmm. in the room. I'll say, uh, write down on a piece of paper, or I'll be up there with a flip chart, right? I'll say, tell me the uh, top five things uh, as to why somebody would use you versus somebody else, right? What's the value prop? Mm Want to take a guess at what those five things are? Because
0: they're the same for everybody. They trust us. So trust is a big one. What Mm -hmm. else? That we provide great customer service. Correct.
2: Customer service is almost yeah. always number one, right?
0: We have good quality products or good quality you know, advice, whatever we're providing.
2: You've sat in the audience mm-hmm. before. So sometimes I'll go in the night before, and I'll type this all up and stick it under their seats. And I'll say, okay, reach under your seats. They pull it out. They read it. And they go, oh, my God, he's amazing. He's clairvoyant. How did he know? I say, because it doesn't matter what industry or what business, you all say the same thing. And so this is why we have such high churn in sales, I believe. Now, I led sales organizations at, at a high level mm-hmm. for the better part of two and a half decades. I've seen it all, all the training, all the people coming through, supposedly the type of person that does well in sales, because there's this sameness thing at play that they're supposed to go out and believe in and drive business. But after they can't succeed, right, because, you know, only the best ones are going to stick around, you know, as we throw them all against the wall. Sure. It's lunacy, It's just lunacy. So about 15, 18 years ago, I had gone to work at Granger, actually, this big, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, industrial supply company. And I remember speaking to company leadership in Lake Forest, Illinois, and I said, look, I'll take the job. I was running a region for them, actually. And I said, I'll take the job. I said, but I want to try something different. I laid it out to them. I said, this is what I want to try. So I'm not going to do all this other stuff that you guys are going to try to put upon us. And the team, n- not me, I, I had the strategy, but the team just broke
0: records. We, we did amazing things. How receptive were they for you doing that when you came in the door?
2: Uh, things were pretty bad. This was in Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, and for reasons we won't go into, they had had a lot of problems in that area to try to get to profitable growth. Right. So what I laid out as we'll talk about today, it makes a lot of sense. And so Jim Ryan, who still may be the CEO there, I'm not sure, there were five of us in the room all being quartered, if you will, to, to come to work for the company. I laid that out, and he said, okay, sounds good. But to be fair, that's a great question, Brian. He said, but this is on you.
0: <laughs> if it doesn't work, <laughs> well, you're gone. Of course it is, yeah. But we broke records. I that's mean, it was amazing what we did. So you mentioned there's three categories that you break this down yeah. into for demand creation. So walk us through the three categories, if you will, and kind of lay this out. So the first category
2: is organizational fitness. Also, you'll hear it as organizational health. Now, what do we mean by that? Remember that at the end of the day, I'm an operator. I'm a guy who was raised Mm -hmm. at Yellow Freight System, which is now YRC. So, you know, tow motors, docks, working Saturday nights at midnight. I mean, I'm an operator at heart. That just happened in the end where my career took me to to get into this, this business development growth area. At the end of the day, I don't hang my hat every day on touchy, feely, cloud, uh, I don't mean cloud from a tech perspective, but fuzzy, feely, rainbow kind of stuff. So when I say purpose, that's what people think. Oh, geez, he's going to be a purpose guy, right? We're going to talk about that. Well, I'm also a Deming guy. Now, Deming was the guy who taught the Japanese pretty much everything they know, Dr. W. Edwards Deming. Born in 1900, I met him in 88, so he was 88 years old. He was dying. So when I come to Yellow, at least the corporate office, I'd been a field guy, um, it was to do this total quality management thing that mm-hmm. was big in the 80s, right? Absolutely. Got to meet Deming, and lo and behold, Deming, who's a statistician and all these other things, let's face it, he created everything that we've seen come out of Japan now for 40-something years. His 14 points for management start with constancy of purpose. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Here's why. So organizational health, I'm going to bop around between these three things. hmm When I sit with a C-suite, the team, so you've got the CEO, the CMO, the CFO, all the C people in the room, the first thing I ask them to do is to take out a piece of paper and I say, why does this organization exist and what's the difference you're trying to make in people's lives? Why does the organization exist? What's the difference you're trying to make in people's lives? So eight of them, right? They all write down an answer. Mm -hmm. Do you think any of those answers are even remotely in the same zip code? No.
0: They'll have some overlap, but they're going to be from their perspective of what they see.
2: So what does that cause in the organization, short and long
0: term? Well, it causes disarray because you're going to have competing priorities that as an employee, I'm going to get one set of priorities from the COO and one from the CMO, and I'm going to hear a different one from the CEO. And I have to interpret that. What does that mean to me? what am I supposed to do? I, and I can't satisfy the demands of all three. I'm going to fail one of them and I can't go after those competing long-term goals because of many times they're going to be in conflict. Correct. I can only do one or the other. I can't do both. Dead on. Mm-hmm. So it all comes down to alignment
2: and clarity. And here's how I differ from the Simon cynics and all these other people who talk about the why. Mm-hmm. The purpose piece is very operational. If we can't agree on why we're here and the difference we're trying to make, everything you just described, Brian, happens, right? Yeah. And so variation. Now, we're on a podcast. People can't see me. I'm, I'm air-drawing a chart mm-hmm. where there's great variation between yes. plotted points.
0: Because each person is going to interpret what it means to them. This isn't what we're after. It's... Okay, I think this is what we're after, so that's what I'm going to deliver.
2: Without a doubt. And so, people who heard Deming all these years, and again, I'll, I'll wrap this all up into these very tight three mm-hmm. things that, that these all these big organizations, the ones we talked about, the, the demand creators, yes. Yes. what they do Deming was a guy who was all about reducing variation, how we would re- reduce waste and rework. But kind of like Olive Garden isn't really authentic Italian food, and Taco Bell's not really authentic <laughs> Mexican. Mm-hmm. The whole Deming process has been bastardized into lean manufacturing and Six Sigma yeah. and all th- and, and ISO 9000, whatever it is today, mm-hmm. and the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award mm-hmm. because all these industries popped up around mm-hmm. it. If we take it to the lowest common denominator... And we look at point number one of his 14 points for management, constancy of purpose. It was to reduce variation, to create alignment and clarity. That's why we have Mm -hmm. flavor of the month strategies going on. That's why we have silos building. So I'm the guy who comes in and says, we start there. That's why we do purpose. Not Mm -hmm. because it feels good. It's because it's operational. And once we figure out what that thing is... The distance between the plotted points, this variation on any chart, whether it's revenue, profit, EBITDA, I don't care what you're measuring, productivity, efficiency, they start to get closer, and so there's less variation. And whatever you're measuring, that number needs to go up or down, right, depending on what you're measuring. It starts to move. The average tends to move up or down, and the tolerances become tighter. Now we're into Six Sigma. But I believe that the greatest loss of profitability in most of these companies and why these demand creators we're talking about excel is that they have gotten their arms around this organizational health issue. So I've worked with clients where they've said, wow, you know, a year later, um, we expected our revenue to go up. So we'll get to that point in a minute. So top line went up. I didn't expect our profitability to
0: double. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's demand creation.
2: That's it. And so when you have. But no,
0: actually, in that point is. If you So your revenue's up, your profit doubled. Revenue could stay flat and profit could still increase because you're getting rid of the variation that exists inside the organization, which will naturally drive up profitability. Correct. Without having to go out and sell. Because you can double sales and not make any more money. Of course. I've seen that many times. Sure. I'm going to go from $8 million in <laughs> revenue to 6 million, $16 million in revenue. Well, I didn't make any more money. Why not? Well, because you sold it below margin. And you're not making any money. And you're failing on your jobs. And you have all this rework and customer complaints. And you got sued. And... All your profits got wiped out, so it doesn't matter that you doubled sales. Sure, The real true factor is profits.
2: I'm with you. I've told so many audiences now I can't even remember. It's in my book. I've said this a million times. If you want to double profitable growth in the next year, your customers want to know what you stand for. So yes, It gets back to the sameness issue. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's some science behind that. I've worked with uh, some really bright leadership teams, including a few years ago. We won't go into my past history, but I actually ran an organization for a couple of years. When you get everybody thinking uh, and believing in the same thing, let's call it the higher calling, true north. That's what I call purpose. Yes. Well, the mission now is over the next six to nine months, what's the core strategy that's going to fulfill the purpose? If we're Navy SEALs, our purpose might be to protect America, but our mission might be to take out Osama bin Laden. Mm -hmm. But everybody uses mission and purpose interchangeably, and it's wrong.
0: Yes, that's very true. It's so wrong. Mm -hmm. And
2: then we won't even talk about vision right now. But each of those companies, so so we talk about organizational health. Mm-hmm. We're going to get the entire organization aligned and clear about not only who we are and the difference we're trying to make in people's lives, but from there, it affects everything. What's the strategy, right, going forward? It's got to align. Do we even have the right people on the mm-hmm. leadership team? Because I've had, mm-hmm. months later, mm-hmm. the CEO will come to me and say, you know, I've been really didn't want this person on the team. I couldn't figure out how to maybe get her off the team. And they self-deselect because they'll say, I didn't sign up for this. Well, that helps with variation.
0: Absolutely, it and does.
2: everything gets better. Mm-hmm. So that's organizational health. How do we create alignment and clarity? And that's how the purpose piece fits in. Okay. Okay? And that's what most of those companies that we've talked about, that's mm-hmm. what they all do. The Deming piece is that issue of variation. Now, the very easy analogy is this. We've all seen The Lion King. Yes. So at the beginning of the movie, when Mufasa, the dad, and he's up on Pride Rock with little Simba, Mm -hmm. right? They're looking over the pride (laughs) land. And he says, uh, look, little guy, here's the deal. He says, the gazelle, right? They eat the grass. We eat the gazelle. Eventually, we'll die. It's the whole ecosystem. It's the circle of life. It is the circle of life. And Deming talked a lot about process, right? And systemic variation. It's most of these companies that I've spoken to, Not their fault, by the way. This is what we were all taught in school, MBA programs, you name it. This whole thing is interconnected. It's all interconnected. Remember what you said early on in this podcast Mm -hmm. about not necessarily silos, but competing priorities? Yes. That's how it occurs. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand it's an ecosystem, number one, and, and the whole thing has to work together. So now we've talked about organizational fitness, and we've talked about the Deming piece, which is really variation, reduction of waste and rework, and alignment and clarity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if the goal as a demand creator, right, we're going to do profitable growth, we're going to go about it from a demand creation way, not a sameness way and go sell the heck out of it. So now we're going to go create demand. We've got those two pieces hopefully in in play. Now comes the third piece, which is the design of unprecedented value. Hmm. Okay. This is where just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. This is where I believe all the sales training companies miss it. Sales training, which I've been through four times with all of them, I won't name them, but you named the four big national. I have taken teams because usually I got brought in, right, to fix something. Right. The agreements were already there. You had to sit through the training. It is do your research, figure out who you want to go after, right? Pester, upset them, call them to the point where they finally give in and give you an appointment. So now we go in and we're going to try to bond a little bit. We're going to do a needs assessment. Sooner or later, we're going to do a presentation, which they're going to push back on price, right? And hopefully, 20% of the time, you're
0: going to get to a sale out of it. Mm-hmm. It is so yeah. wasteful. And you have to, say, you have to get, get them to say no six or seven times. Correct. Because so you haven't heard a yes to, you've heard no six times. It's ridiculous. It's the goofiest thing I ever saw it in is. my life. And, and it's so- usually the salesperson talking 70 to 80% of the time. Correct. And the client, and, and there's a lot of assumptions made without knowing anything at all about the other person on the other side of the table of what you're talking about. And it should be the other way around where if you're, if you're trying to build a relationship with somebody you want to do business with for a long period of time, sure, it should be where your clients are talking 70 to 80% of the time and you're, and you're listening 70 to 80% of the time and asking a few clarifying questions to understand more of who they are to discover are they a fit, can you help them? Um, is this something that's in your wheelhouse? Are they, are they going to be a great long-term client S- for you?
2: So let's pause right there. Yeah. Everything you just said, those last five or six things, what if they already knew all that about you? Up front. Before you ever got the call? Yeah. People are surprised that the 10 years I've been doing this on my own, I've never picked up the phone. Never picked up the phone once. Mm-hmm. The calls come in. You get a referral. They see all the things that you've done. and So how does it change then? I don't mean to put you on the no, spot, but ahead. this is fun. Yeah, fire away. Imagine if somebody called you as the salesperson and said, oh, my gosh, I saw you speak at XYZ, and um, I picked up your book, and I've read this, and jeepers, I've looked on your website. The things you've done in terms of how you've impacted these companies, man, I want some of that.
0: How much needs assessment do we need to do at this point? You're, you, don't, you have to do some, but not a lot. Right. Because you know they have self qualified themselves.
2: When people walk into Quick Trip, do you think they expect speed and um, um, oh, I always say there's two things with Quick Trip. They have two uh, core obsessions. Uh, cleanliness. Yes. My, my wife will not go to the restroom anywhere but Quick Trip mm-hmm. if it's a convenience store. Yes. So it's expected, mm-hmm. right? At Pixar, you're going to see an amazing story. Mm-hmm. can be an adult, mm-hmm. kid, doesn't matter.
0: Used to be McDonald's was the, clean, was the cleanliness <laughs> That's for bathrooms. True. But if you travel where there's a Quick Trip, Quick Trip wins over McDonald's a lot of the times. Always. And so this issue of demand creation
2: can be done in B2B. But what they do is they take this issue. So we're going to talk about unprecedented value. What they do, though, is they take sameness, the sameness thing that mm-hmm. they're doing, whatever it is. And they say, well, now we're going to hire a bunch of marketing people. And we're going to do social media and all these other things. And all you're doing is using a bullhorn to go, to go tell everybody about your sameness. It's the craziest thing, which is why it comes back to price or relationship. Well, most salespeople don't have enough time to build the relationship. What if they just come to you? What if they just call you up and say, I want some of that? Yes. And so I'm not going to talk about local clients today, but there's a bunch of them today who have done that. So the third piece of this thing is, what is this issue of unprecedented value? Mm-hmm. I was taught all my years in business it's incremental value, it's value add, unique selling proposition, differentiation. It's all garbage. Mm-hmm. It's all garbage. You can't buy a hamburger at Chick-fil-A, <laughs> right? You can't <laughs> buy a chicken sandwich at Five Guys. So Costco pays their sell, you know their people 30% on average more. Pixar hinges their entire business on the story is king and trusts the process if you don't know this whatever pixar movie is being made as we speak all the other directors that direct pixar movies will come in one-third through that movie that that direct and is going to pick it apart and give them ideas can you imagine spielberg sitting there making a movie and here comes scorsese and the rest saying okay now that's bad yeah. don't do this
0: but that's what they do right? yes
2: because it's important.
0: Well, they have a critical eye. They look at movies completely differently than I look at a movie.
2: Very correct. And so here are like, here's, again, where it varies from the traditional selling model, of selling something that's the same that everybody else has. They teach you in, in any sales course that you've ever taken to do this needs assessment, which is the spoken need. Stay with me on this okay. one. Nobody asked for the automobile. Nobody asked for the airplane. Nobody asked for the radio nobody asked for the television nobody asked for the internet nobody asked for six dollar coffee three times a day and nobody asked for an electric car that's worth six figures And how about an iphone nobody asked for an iphone the blackberry ruled mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it is the unspoken need right but mm-hmm. sales aren't tasked with the, the unspoken need my sales teams when i was leading sales teams i would say look forget i'm going to get this off your back forget about Revenue generation, quota attainment. we got to get to the driver of all of that. So let's not worry about it. Those are all just results anyway, Mm -hmm. right? There's no sense in talking about it. It's in the past. you got to focus on the inputs. So I'd say, every Monday morning when we're going to meet, all I want to know from each and every one of you is, what did we learn new about our customer base in this meeting? Why? We're going to design this thing in such a way that you won't have to sell. Mm -hmm. Work like a charm. Yes. We broke records,
0: and they loved it. And what what do you think happened to their numbers? It went up. What do you think happened to their income? (laughs) It went up, and profit went up. (laughs) Turnover went up. Your variability went down. The consistency, the experience. And then those customers are going to share that experience with their friends and neighbors and everybody else that are going to look at it and say, hey, I want a different experience. It's like that. And then that multiplies, then your unprecedented value, I would assume.
2: Yes. Many years ago, UPS, um, the Teamsters, went on strike. So, the salespeople had to work on the docks and the warehouse to move the freight. Yes. You know who was calling on customers during that time? There are 2,000 industrial engineers. They went out and called on customers. You know what they found out? Industrial engineers, because they're compensated differently, they asked some really insightful questions versus trying to get business. Yes. They learned more about their customer base and made more changes. Right? Mm-hmm. So remember when you said earlier they don't listen, these salespeople? Mm-hmm. We hire, you know, Johnny could sell ice to an Eskimo. Mm-hmm. Problem is, an Eskimo doesn't need ice. They're not empathetic. And we don't teach them to ask the right questions. So it's the unspoken need, right? So we've got organizational health. That alone is going to start to separate you in the marketplace. Huge. It's huge. The idea of reducing variation, you know, which organizational helps with, that's the profit side of profitable growth. Mm-hmm. Now we got, so we're hitting the growth. Mm-hmm. But the real piece of this thing is unprecedented value. There is a, without naming names, there's a commercial furniture distributor that I worked with recently. And I said, look, we started, right? It was a big six-month engagement. And I said, take the next week, you and your salespeople just go talk to your customers who buy commercial furniture, sure. chairs, yes. desks, all that yes. stuff. Talk to the people who are in the Monday morning management meeting. Find out what the top three KPIs are that are on that dashboard that they're talking about. She came back and she goes, gosh, to my surprise, it was wellness, culture, employee engagement, employee churn, and a fifth one that I can never remember. She called it the Fab Five. Okay, so how do you think we redesigned the company versus we're just going to go sell furniture? I don't know. How did you do it? All of the marketing now, right, was how the environment can impact wellness, mm. culture, employee engagement, and so forth. Now armed with data, because there's data, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, all the marketing went this way. She got a call from Nike in Beaverton, Oregon, saying, <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> so when I have people who say, oh, this is a bunch of garbage, Sean, and it doesn't work, Nike called a, a, a young lady in the West Bottoms with this really neat commercial furniture. guy. So now when the referrals come in, it's under the heading of help us with wellness, employee engagement, churn right mm-hmm. and how the furniture now it's totally in line aligned with what they're doing with uh, what the clients want correct so we uneven the competitive playing field and she's killing it That's just one small example
0: yes well she's delivering her unprecedented value she has her demand creation engine in place right. she has her her organizational purpose sure and then she's driving out her variability. And so, uh, yes, thank you. And, and so, following the 14 points of Deming. Kind
2: of, sort of. Yeah. You know, some of those 14 points will make the average U.S. leader, it'll make their head explode. I'll mm-hmm. get there in a second. But here's a question I would pose to your audience. All right. What's the value you deliver independent of the core product or service? We've seen rainy day books and Fairway survive Amazon. Yes. And Borders... Mm-hmm. And all those guys, right? She has a
0: a phenomenal, unique niche. That's incredible.
2: And does a lot of event marketing. She does. Right? Chateau Milk, guys, it's milk. Mm -hmm. It's a commodity.
0: And they're they're going old school to put it on your doorstep, and they'll pick it up and bring it back.
2: Who in the world is going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say it again. Chateau Milk. What's the value you deliver independent of the core product or service? Nobody goes to Quick Trip for the sole purpose to get gas. They don't. No. So now we get into they go for the experience or whatever it might well, you be. Know,
0: you're not going to stand in line for an hour and a half to get Correct. through there. And it's going to move. And, you know, they run two people on each side of the register who does that. Right. More people are picking up on it because the person at the register can handle more than one transaction at a time. Sure. And you get speed, you get cleanliness, you get service, you get good prices, and you're going to come back and repeat, repeat. And plus how they feed their store. You know, I spent so many years in operations and manufacturing years ago that all of this speaks to a core of what I believe in and it's what we talked about when we connected watching the Plaza Lights back in November and just talking through all of this and it's fascinating to see it work. It's fascinating to see it stand the test of time and it continues to change people's lives by following these processes and it's been around for 60 years and the principles haven't changed but the companies have and the times have but people are still people
2: agreed and i guess if there's a secrets i mean the whole thing is a secret sauce i guess even though well, i could go down the road of patagonia and even bmw and there's a lot of those companies that have mm-hmm. figured out this demand creation yes. piece when I got to hear Deming and meet him a couple of times before he passed away, you'd have these very high-level executives from Ford Motor and Procter & Gamble and the rest, who all became clients of his, mm-hmm. but he would be doing a symposium, right? And again, the, the man wasn't feeling well, so he's sitting down, but he's at a podium with a microphone, and no, they would take five minutes to ask this very long, complex question about one of their companies, right? And I'm not kidding when I tell you, Deming would lean into that microphone and just say, as the answer, he would say, leadership. That's the problem. The problem is leadership. So that's why, you know, it's a very tight niche that I work within. But when you get somebody who has tried everything else and it doesn't work, has uh, what Jim Collins from good to great fame would call level five leadership. Mm -hmm. We can find willful and resolute all day long, as can I. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a business. That's correct. But that humility piece Mm -hmm. is very difficult to find, Mm -hmm. to say, look, you can really and truly dominate any industry you want to, but you're going to have to do it in a very different way. If you went to my website, seanstorms.com, S-E-A-N-S-T-O-R-M-E-S.com, you'll see testimonials from certain people. They are all level five leaders. They're wonderful people that I've worked with. They had that humility factor to say, okay, we know a lot about X. But, man, we'd really like to be the southwest air of our industry. Yes. How does this work? And so that recipe, that architecture is there.
0: So what's step one of working with you?
2: It is the purpose piece, right? So we have to have the higher calling, not just for the leadership team, but the entire organization. We have to know what this higher calling is because from there, that's where strategy is developed, the entire HR piece. Who do we hire Who do we promote, discipline, compensate? Who do we give raises to? Who do we not? The whole thing is built around this issue of why in the world are we here and what's the difference we're trying to make for the customer, usually, if not the employees. So that is often, if not every time, step one. We build it there because from there, everything else is almost an easy button.
0: I want to give away five of your books. Okay. So whoever's listening, if you'll email me, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at retirewithtrue.com, we will send you a copy of Sean's book. And we'll mail it out to you and it will highlight many of these purposes. It'll tell some great stories. It'll lay out some items that you can put to work today to begin this path of getting to demand creation and learning more about this process that Sean's talking about, because it's not normal. It's not what everybody else is doing in the marketplace. It allows you to be unique in a, in a, in a sea of sameness and to build that moat around your economic castle so that you can deliver the value and drive profit and have a business that you love to come to. Because... I always talk to my business owner clients about making work optional and why we want to make work optional is because we want to have enough money saved personally that I don't have to work every day that I'm working because I love the people I work with. I love the customers I work with. I love the vendors I work with. I love the impact we're making. I love the purpose of the organization. I love doing what I'm doing and I'm choosing to do it and I don't have to do it. And when you can step into that space as a business owner, your mindset and the power it gives you as an individual because you don't have to make the sale. You're already done. You look at the world from a different perspective and it completely lines out in front of you. And when you can get to that space, then work is optional for you. And I have business owners that will get there in their fifties, some in their forties, some in their sixties, but the time after work is optional, it blows their mind that I'm going to work because I love to do what I do. And it gives me this great constancy of purpose in my life. I know I don't have to do it, but I just love it. Whether it's in charitable work, whether it's volunteering, no matter what it would be, it's you're to that point where you can now continue to make that impact and you're not doing it because you have to have a paycheck. And that is what I believe that you help business owners do is to accelerate the time frame that they can achieve work optional. And they can get to that point and you can compress that timeline so that you're work optional earlier in your career rather than later. Wow. That's (laughs) it. That's awesome.
2: We all get out of bed every morning for whatever reason to do the work, right? And we all know we need to make money and provide for our families. But when I get asked that question, why have you done this for so long? I was a guy leading businesses. Mm -hmm. I'm still a guy who occasionally will go in and lead a business. But why are you so much still on this after a decade? You know, I had the Kansas City Business Journal growth strategies column for a long time. People would read it and go, what in the world is he talking about, right? (laughs) But But in the end, it's meeting up with these clients or former clients years later, and
0: whether work has become optional for them, they're just so much in a better
2: place. Yeah. they love it. Yes,
0: their life is happier, they're happier, their employees are happier. and it's just a much more fun to be around. It doesn't matter what line of work you're in. It can be in anything. It can be in roofing, it can be in wealth management, it can be running a dental practice, It can be running manufacturing, warehousing. It doesn't matter. you can find your niche. Because if these four commodities you talked about from the beginning can do it, then any business can generate that demand and build themselves into a bigger company.
2: Well, look at Tony Shea, right, with Zappos, Yeah, you know, which eventually sold for a billion dollars okay, to Amazon. Yeah. You can't get a job in that massive call center that they have if you've ever worked mm. in a call center yeah. before. See what I mean? It's very counterintuitive, which is why sometimes, right, when I'm introduced to someone, they go, nah, I don't want any part of this.
0: You mentioned Zappos. i got to throw a short sure. story in here that I'm weird, I'm odd, my wife. We're weird and odd as a couple that when we go to cities to go travel, we go take corporate tours. So we've been through Celestial Seasonings, we've been through Zappos, we've been through Dell, but that's what I do. We go, you set up a corporate tour, and they'll give you a tour of the whole doggone place to go see it, and you learn about the culture, the people, the business, how they started, where they're at, what they do, and I, and I love the story of Zappos. And I remember sitting in the room and seeing this massive corporation with a whiteboard that showed their response time to email was under 30 seconds, and their response time to calls coming in the door were like under two minutes that you got to somebody and and they were talking with them and visiting with them and they did not have a time frame that they had to be off the telephone if you called. They were there to build a relationship with you. If you wanted to talk for 20 minutes or three hours, they would stay on the phone with you because there was no demand for anything. It was build the relationship, talk, help, figure out everything and be there to serve and take care of you. I think 10% of of the folks call in, everything else is digital. But that level of service in that company was ridiculous. And then they Then they had a booklet. it's
2: It's unprecedented. It is
0: unprecedented. And then they had a booklet of every employee shared what was good and bad about the company. And they published the entire doggone thing, the good and the bad, in the guide. And if you ask your name to be published or not, it's there. And you read every comment every year. And they have a library of here's what our employees said they loved and hated about being at Zappos. And they published every one of them. Who is that transparent? Phenomenal, off the charts, really unique what they built at Zappos. It's crazy to some people, right? But it's
2: leadership that says, this is who we're going to be. It's not going to be easy. You know, years ago, there was the story, uh, like you said, they can stay on with a customer, right, in the call center for, I think the record is like 10 hours. There was a woman that was distraught, and for 10 hours they talked to her. Yes. Well, that person, the call person, didn't get in trouble. A woman uh, had bought a bunch of uh, different types of shoes for her mom, who was dying a very painful, slow death. And wanted her to be comfortable, so slippers, things of that nature. And she ordered six pairs. So they come to the house. You know, mom tried. There were, like, three that needed to go back. Well, in the time she went to the computer to schedule the return, mom passed away. So you had two weeks at that time. I'm sure all the policies have changed. But you had two weeks from the time you logged in, right, to say, I'm going to do do a return, Mm -hmm. that they would come. So somebody, right, because they measure everything, found out that this open order for return was just left open. And so one day, the woman, after mom had passed away already, they'd already had the wake, the woman was at home grieving, somebody knocked on the door, it was a UPS guy. The UPS guy said, I understand uh, that you have an open order for returns. And so she goes, oh yeah, so she gives the the return. The next day she comes home and what do you think is on her doorstep? Flowers. From Hmm. Zappos, because the UPS guy had told them that her mom had passed away. Oh, my God. That's amazing. how many millions of customers do Mm -hmm. they have?
0: Well, yeah, they're a huge firm. And to give that small, random act of kindness is amazing. It's unprecedented. It is.
2: And so it can be done, but it really takes, again, leadership to say, not so much that we want to dominate an industry. Mm -hmm. It's we just want to do the right thing for our people. Amen. For our customers. Amen. And away we go. And then, again, this is why I was so jacked up to be here today is because, you know, to make work optional, when I look in the eyes of uh, some of these folks that I've worked with, uh, not all of them, but most of them, when they say, my gosh, our people are so happy and our numbers are all where they should be and
0: and I don't have to come to work, it's pretty awesome. So so I saw synergy. But as a business owner, when you're at that pinnacle, you don't want to walk away. You love what you're doing. And I like it. And I don't need the money. And I just love what I do. So I'm going to keep doing it. And then at some point, you figure out your leadership transition, and that's the next phase. But we can talk about that one on a a following podcast. Again, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how would they do so?
2: Email is sean, S-E-A-N, at com. Okay. Website is uh, seanstorms, S-E-A-N-S-T-O-R-M-E-S, seanstorms.com. And you could Google me. I always tell people I'm out there. If you just Google my name, you'll find 42 <laughs> different ways to contact me.
0: And again, uh, I want to give away five of your books Thank you. to our listeners out there. So the first five that email me, will get your name and address and we'll get a copy of Sean's book mailed to you. Just send me an email, brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at retirewithtrue.com, R-E-T-I-R-E-W-I-T-H-T-R-U-E.com, and I'll get a mailed out to you. Any closing comments before we wrap up the show?
2: You know, it's like an interview. They always say, leave, uh, leave your interviewer with, with a, a big question. So I would say to the listening audience, here's something that I learned from a, a guy who's an MIT fellow named Michael Schrage. And it was fascinating, and it still messes with me, whether I do it on my own or I'm working with customers. It's a two-part question. The first one is, who do you need your customers to become? That's pretty profound. And so Mm -hmm. you sit with your folks and you say, wow, let's whiteboard this. Who do we need our customers to become? So start there. Don't even, when I mentioned the second question, don't even go there. But really spend time with your folks and and get a good answer to that. Only then throw out the second question What are we doing today to invest in them to ensure that outcome?
0: That's powerful. Yeah,
2: I thought so too. You can tell I didn't come up with that. But But
0: (laughs) But you figure out number one. And then number two is powerful. But without number one, number two isn't powerful. So you can create your future. That's amazing. So thank you. Thanks for being here, Sean. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Let's Make Work Optional from True Wealth and Company. I'm your host, Brian Sarf. And with me this week has been Sean Storms, the chief demand creator of The Third Door. We'll be back next Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Be sure to spread the word about our podcast to your friends and family. And don't keep us a secret. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Connect with us on LinkedIn. And don't ever forget, invest wisely, save early, give generously. Let's make work optional.
1: You've been listening to Let's Make Work Optional from True Wealth & Company. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com or call 913-653-TRUE. That's 913-653-8783. All matters discussed during this program are for informational purposes only. This podcast in no way shall be construed as a solicitation to sell securities or advisory services to residents in any other state than Kansas or where otherwise prohibited. Topics should be discussed with your advisor prior to implementation. Advisory and insurance services offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas.